0: All right, but I got RJ here right now. And RJ, my God, is Wisconsin football crushing it on the recruiting trail. 2021 class, they added another four-star recruit, their fifth four-star recruit, defensive end and outside linebacker, TJ Bowlers, out of Iowa. And he spurned the likes of Alabama, Penn State, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Iowa State, and many others to come to Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, Uh the thing with a lot of those uh, larger schools uh, really didn't offer him until this Later. calendar year. So, I mean, so people when Wisconsin getting in on him. Um, after they got done with their uh, 2020 recruiting. So by, by the way, the
0: 2020 recruiting class had five four-star recruits. Yep. And now this 2021 recruiting class, five four-star recruits, that is now tied for most
1: ever in school history. Yeah, so – uh, and, and Wisconsin tends to get those guys that even though they're going to sign in December, they really don't have to worry about a lot of these kids flipping, um, you know, 2019, I think had three guys flip mostly because they ended up staying closer to home mm-hmm. rather than, uh, choosing Wisconsin. Um, but you, you look at this little last two, three weeks run Wisconsin's been on, uh, added four four or five kids, um, two, three stars, and two, four stars, or it, I'm, I'm trying to... A lot of stars thrown yeah. around there. and most of them are guys who are either end up on the D-line or be outside linebackers. So you're looking at, especially in a 3-4, you need those rush-end linebackers um, or those stand-up defensive ends who will be your rush-ends to really be your...
2: the the deepest part of your defense. I think I saw that it was now five four-star players from that recruiting class. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. Um, Five four-stars. But yeah, this in this past week,
1: they've, or past two weeks, have gone from seventh in the Big Ten to fifth or fourth? Fifth in the Big Ten, 12th in the nation. Um, And uh, uh, a lot of the... Parody either Wisconsin coach or Wisconsin athletic director accounts are pointing out how we've now went four spots up since like two weeks ago and are above Minnesota and have three less recruits um, and are graded higher than them. Um, Minnesota just had a dual threat quarterback and or wide receiver, depending on what he ends up being uh, flip for the second time or decommit for the second time, and this time flipped his commitment to Purdue. Uh, so um, a lot of people pointing that stuff out, and then you have the uh, the people who are like, well, why aren't you comparing him to Ohio State? <laughs> well, uh, as much as I would like to say Ohio State's a rival, they're not. Uh, Minnesota is, and whenever you can kind of kick Minnesota, it's it's always fun.
0: It's always fun, isn't it? Uh, it's always a good especially time. Especially
1: with the guy who's now leading Minnesota. Um oh, who's that again? Uh that uh, I don't know. that Smarmy guy? He used to be a crew coach, I think. That Smarmy guy? Um, who's that Smarmy yeah. guy? But I mean it's yeah, it's it's fun to kick Minnesota. I'm yeah. not well, going to lie. <laughs> how
0: cool is this, though, that the Badgers now get that's five four-star recruits. That's tied with the 2020 group for the most four-star recruits in a single class in school history. And when you see the likes like this article title My guy, Zach, our sports director, Zach Halpern, wrote, Wisconsin beats out Alabama
1: and others for a four-star defender. Yeah, and T.J. Bowler's uh, out of Iowa. uh, How about this? Watching his film, I think the only thing he's going to have to work on is hand placement uh, so he can keep guys off of him uh, better. But other than that, not... Not a lot to be critical about on this kid. Six foot three, two hundred and fifty pounds.
0: Uh the 147th best player in the country, and the number two player in the state of Iowa. And check this out, Bowler's dad, Trevor, played for Iowa in the 90s. He's a fullback. His family lives just a short drive away from Kinnick Stadium. But bowlers didn't even have Iowa among his final five teams.
1: Yeah, Iowa State was on there. Iowa State um, was, but not the yeah, Hawkeyes. Yeah, but not the Hawkeyes. And, and his dad even played for the Hawkeyes. And You know, sometimes... Hey, but
0: Kirk Ferentz is, the, is uh, above Paul Chris, for some, one of the best coaches in right. the 2020 season.
1: But I, I, some of that is kids don't want to be in their parents' shadow. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons you have, like... Uh, Rucci here at Wisconsin, uh, his dad was uh, still remembered well as a good player at Penn State, and I don't think he wanted to try to live up to that, so he's here at Wisconsin. And speaking we'll see of see where Rucci, his little brother yeah, goes.
2: Fingers crossed his little brother is one of, like, what, the 15 or 16 other top 300 yeah, and, uh, recruits that are still considering yep. Wisconsin, and obviously they still have time through next winter to sign these yeah, guys. Yeah, and
1: he, he posted uh, an article I think uh, Rivals did about uh, the Sandborns are pumped; they're going to play together again. And uh, Rucci posted that and said, "Hey, this sounds pretty cool." <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll see. Uh, I mean, he's he's trying hard to get his little brother here. Uh, it, it'd be nice to see, you know. It's and it's hard to argue. You're one of the top O linemen in the nation. Yeah. Why aren't you giving Wisconsin a look when you see that's a great question? Where are these RJ. Wisconsin O linemen who Are highly graded when they get here a lot of them are ending up being first and second round draft picks the ones who get picked later still end up being some of the top paid position players on the o-line uh it's it's one of those things if you're an O lineman not considering wisconsin either you haven't been offered or
2: uh you know you're just not good enough well this 2021 class has got to be If it doesn't end up being the best recruiting class, it'll be one of the top recruiting classes Wisconsin's ever had. Yep. And they still have time to flip two, maybe three more kids that are these top four or five-star kids. Right. Time to flip.
0: MLB draft. The 2020 draft concluded last night from what was once 40 rounds down to five rounds. And we welcome in our guy from The Athletic, Will, Sam, and Will. What's up, man? Long time no talk.
3: Tell me about it. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. It's fun to actually write about something relevant that happened, that occurred. It was pretty cool. It was, it was different for a change.
0: Will, how about this? The first time we had you on, I think you would, had just joined up with uh, covering the Brewers for The Athletic, and you were about two weeks in, and that's when spring training was canceled. And then you're like, and we had you know, we joked around with you, and you're like, man, first, you know, first couple of weeks on the job, and all of a sudden there's nothing to cover. We're in, we're, it's June 12th. There is still no baseball, man. So was it a breath of fresh air for that draft the past two nights then?
3: Oh, it certainly was, man. I got, I got done writing late last night and I was laying down around midnight and I'm like, okay, I actually feel a little bit satisfied. Like I feel like I, I worked towards something (laughs) and I mean, I was obviously working and stuff and doing other stories, but it's just different. Like when you're covering something live, like I'm saying, and sure, it was remote, and it was a little bit weird to do a bunch of phone interviews and Zoom calls and stuff, but it was fun. It
1: yeah,
0: was fun. Oh Dude, I just, well, how's it been for you? I know it's been such a, a, we were saying new normal, I'm calling the new abnormal. How's this abnormal year been for you as you, you know, start cutting your teeth with the Brewers? Like, what have you been doing with your time?
3: <laughs> it's been challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good challenge, though. You know, I, I was kind of reflecting on it the other day, Good challenge in the sense that hey, this is this is what the bottom looks like for like a lot of companies for a lot of people. Like I'm not that different from people who are struggling far worse than than in my situation. I'm thankful to have a job but I'm trying to make the most of it. So it was good to push some creative buttons inside my mind and um, hopefully I I wrote some things that people like to read about from the past or just maybe highlighting some trends and whatnot. But uh, hopefully it's over though. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Hopefully dude. it's getting to be the point where it's where it's over, and we could we could start talking about a season or some some uh, semblance of a season.
0: Yeah. Before we start talking about the draft that was, um, what is your gut feeling telling you on a baseball season? Do you think there's going to be one upcoming? The commissioner Rob Manfred said 100 percent they're going to play. Do you believe him?
3: Only because he has that power to mandate a shortened season of about 50 or so games. That's really the only way I could it being 100% happening. Certainly, they could come to an agreement where we get more games, whether it's 65 or 72 or whatever. I don't foresee something like 81 or 82 happening anymore, just because it's already the middle of June. So, it's going to be less than what people want, and nobody really wants to see a 50-game season, but that may be what we end up getting, uh, just because the commissioner has that power to mandate. If there's no agreement. So that's the reason I would say that, yeah, I could see a season happening, of course, and I would probably bet on it being more likely than not because of that reason.
0: Yeah. Uh, selfishly, I want one just so we have something to talk about, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think selfishly you'd say you want something to cover. So let's, let's get a season underway here. Uh, but something that you can cover and what you've been doing at a high level uh, at The Athletic and your Twitter account at Will Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N. Will, what do you think of the First round of out of UCLA Garrett Mitchell.
3: It's yeah, a great player. I think if you talk to scouts and college coaches um, that he's played against, um, and even some of his coaches from UCLA, one of the first things I'll tell you is that you know UCLA is getting kind of robbed here because uh, Garrett Mitchell, man, his best days are so they're ahead of him. Uh, he could have had a huge year this year. He's made some significant strides, some improvements. Uh, Great all-around player. The power is probably the one tool that he sort of lacks, that he needs to improve on, or that I shouldn't say needs to improve on because he's already a pretty good player. It's just that the power would make him a 5 tool player because he already has the defense. He he grades out phenomenally uh, as far as speed goes. So it's really just the power that's kind of a question mark, but the Brewers feel like he has some untapped potential there. And you can kind of see it in the amount of doubles he hit last year and just the way that his slugging percentage has changed, uh, has improved, I should say. And it's worth noting that UCLA didn't ask the kid to hit home runs. I mean, he batted at the batting order. Uh, he was asked to get on base, put pressure on the defense, uh, be smart on the bases, steal bases, that sort of thing. And, and that's what he will would be asked to do with the Brewers, but... My point is, is that he, he's a steal of a pick at number 20.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and he fell because, honestly, and unfortunately, the people weren't, um, they had question marks about him sort of dealing with the type, type yeah, was it, diabetes. a type 1
0: diabetes, which he's been dealing with since he was nine years old, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the guy knows how to take care yeah. of it, right?
3: Yeah, and, and I kind of hate that. I, I kind of like, that's why I kind of puzzle like, I hate saying that just because you would think like, Man, the guy should have a handle on this. He's been yeah. playing at UCLA. He's been playing multiple times a week. This isn't anything new, but you know how it is. We see it in the NFL, the NBA, where for whatever you know, people—and you don't blame them. This is this is—you uh, got to get that first-round pick right. right. Uh, Baseball is no exception. So, yeah, I, I don't blame them on that sense. But the, for this kid to fall to number twenty, uh, the, the scouts, the coaches that I spoke to were like, "This is." Has the potential to be one of the steals, if not the steal of the draft.
0: Yeah, the value was huge for uh, Gary Mitchell. Uh, Will Salmon joining us right now, covering the Brewers with the Athletic. And what what was your take? Because I saw a lot of people clamoring that they should have got pitching. They should have went pitching with the first round. Obviously, the Brewers didn't go with any pitching. What's your take on the people saying like we need an ace?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't think that that was that big of a deal. Um, I don't really. If you look at their pitching depth in the, min- in the minor league system right now, they're okay. I, I wouldn't say they're anything great, but it's solid. Uh, they-, they drafted Ethan Small last year. They have a couple of guys um, who are on the cusp of-, of perhaps getting to the major leagues. Uh, somebody like a Drew Rasmussen, for example, uh, good on there. So uh, Somebody had asked me this the other day about what they're going to do in the draft, right? And I said, you know, I'd like to see them get some position players because we're talking about a farm a farm system that is viewed as the worst in the big league in the in major league uh, for all the major league teams. And so there's there's a need for depth there. So I I quite frankly I like that they get drafted the position position players. All five of them. They didn't necessarily wake up on on Thursday saying that they were going to do that. But I'm. Uh, I like the way it worked yeah. out for them because they got with, they got players that could help them that had some potential that could. At the worst case scenario, a couple of those guys were just filling out for depth purposes. Depth purposes.
0: Yeah. What do you? What's your take on their next pick? It was uh, 53rd overall in the second round. The shortstop Freddie Zamora out of Miami.
3: Yeah, some question marks there. I mean, he's coming off the ACL ACL injury, um, so he actually didn't play at all in 2020. Um, obviously, everybody's season has been shortened dramatically, but. He suffered the injury two days before their season started out of practice. And so we're talking about a guy who probably otherwise, from what I've heard, would have been like a late first rounder. I think the Brewers view him as that too. So they were able to get him late, you know, 20th, uh, you know, midway through the second round after the competitive balance pick. So that's that's a pretty good get if it works out for you. Um, He made a lot of errors at Miami. You'll you'll see that, but the Brewers think that his best tool is his defense, and it's not really unusual to see a high number of errors for a college shortstop just because they often try to get to balls uh, based on their range that other guys don't really try or attempt to get to, and you just don't know if that's on the first baseman, the the, the, um, attribution to the error. So a lot of it's a question mark. So I asked, and they were okay with it. They think that's it's a plus tool for him. So there's upside there. Um, it's another one of those value picks, and it's another one of those up the middle picks that they like. So yeah. no surprise. Um, pretty good pick. I think I think it's worth the risk of worth um, the risk. Yeah, for sure.
0: Nice, uh, nice. Ninety-second uh, overall pick. We go to Central Michigan's Xavier Warren. This guy played catcher, shortstop, and third base. This guy is like he a freak athlete. What's going on with this guy?
3: Yeah, I love this pick, man. Um, he also could play some second base, and some other teams viewed him as a as a corner outfielder even, I heard. So he was wow. kind of viewed all over. The Brewers were actually one of the few teams who were super intrigued about his catching ability. He caught in high school, caught a little bit for Central Michigan, not a whole lot. The Brewers scout, uh, Pete Mugovic Lug- Jr., he was uh, the, the area scout who saw him. He actually got the opportunity to see him catch, uh, really liked it from what I understand. Um, so he kind of got to dreaming about that scenario and they really did their homework on it. They involved their catching, their, uh, roving catching instructor in the process the Brewers did. So there's a lot to like from the versatility angle of him, but really, I mean, his bat should play. Like that's, that's really the part of him that people say will carry him regardless of the position that he ends up at.
0: Now, Will, I'm looking at your Twitter account right now, at Will Salmon, and I see with the Brewers' next pick, it was um, Joey Weimer, the outfielder from Cincinnati. He's got a little leg kick when he's up there, huh? Did you get to talk with uh, Weimer?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> if you look and you watch that video, you're like, wow, I don't quite see that every day. But um, it's something that he actually had to try to cut down a little bit on, just because he heard from scouts and Uh, teams about that because it it seems to have messed up his timing a little bit uh at least that's what they will tell you and so maybe if you could kind of tame that somewhat they could see his
0: it's unique uh, i'll say that it is unique yeah
3: uh, they could kind of see his contact go up a little bit if it's tamed if that's if that's the case but i mean shoot um I like it. Yeah, Why not? I like the little so flair not, for the right?
0: dramatics, you know? Uh, and finally, let me ask you on the last pick. All right, I saw this, and I, I just had to chuckle. So, obviously, where, where are you from again originally?
3: I'm from uh, New York City originally, but I've lived in Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi as well.
0: So, uh, yeah, I know you used to cover football as well, but I don't know if, if you saw this, but in the NFL draft, the Green Bay Packers, who desperately needed another, another wide receiver, they didn't select a single wide receiver in the draft. Last night, the Milwaukee Brewers, with their last pick, selected Hayden Contrell. He was a standout wide receiver in high school, could have gone D1. So the Milwaukee Brewers have now drafted more wide receivers in 2020 than the Green Bay Packers. But, just a fun fact for you, but what do you like about or seeing this Hayden Contrell with their last pick they had in the draft?
3: Yeah, that he, he, he's certainly fast enough. That's really the thing that jumps out for you with this kid, uh, certainly for the Brewers. He, he was only hitting like 136 in 2020, and that was kind of weird um, to see for a guy who was being taken in this shortened draft. Uh, but that wasn't really unusual. That was kind of the deal with him. You know, he, he hit below 200 in his first 50 at-bats in the prior both two years, 2018 and 2019, and rebounded nicely. And so they, and this is another guy, and I've said this a couple of times, but if the season were to have been played, um, he probably would have been drafted higher than the fifth round or higher than where he was selected in the fifth round. Um, just because you would have thought that he would have bounced back. He would have again showed that, that he could, he could get on base for you. He could just showcase his speed again. So another guy that I've said it before, but it's one of those value picks where if there was a season, he would have been picked higher. So it was another prototypical Brewers pick.
0: Is the uh, theme for the Brewers draft value? Was that the theme for it?
3: (laughs) Value is athletes who can kind of get on base (laughs) and who can play either shortstop, second base, or the outfield.
0: Will, we appreciate your time, man. If everyone wants to follow along with your work, which is phenomenal, how can they do so?
3: Appreciate it. Uh, I'm I'm on Twitter at Will Stadman, W-I-L-L-S-A-M-M-O-N, uh, we're running also a 90-day free trial at theathletic.com. So if you want to give it a try, uh, there's no risk there. Cancel any time. So good stuff. And um, thanks again for having me. Yeah, um, we love it, Will. Catter. Thanks so
0: much for your time. Have a great weekend. And hopefully we'll be talking about baseball uh, actual games next time we uh, we have you on the show. How's that sound?
3: Yeah, that'd be nice, right? <laughs> it,
0: Appreciate it Have man. a good weekend, Take man. Take care. There he is, Will Salmon from The Athletic. Good stuff. <laughs> CBSSports.com gave that Brewers draft grade. Uh, what was the grade of the draft class? That was an A.
2: That's an A, baby. Basically, what they said in there was the same thing he reiterated, and David Stearns is known for. All about value and getting the most value at the spot they had.
0: You think David Stearns was a big fan of Ted Thompson? You think secretly he's got like a shrine to Ted Thompson in Miller Park somewhere? I, you think he's got you think David Stearns got a tattooed across his chest, draft and develop?
2: <laughs> David Stearns doesn't strike me as a guy with tattoos.
0: Well, you can't see it. He he. It's his, it's his motto, draft and develop. And then there's a picture It's, it's on his chest. It says draft and develop tattoo. And below it, it's just a photo, or a, I should say a portrait of Ted Thompson.
2: Doesn't David Stearns strike you as a guy that every single day wears a button-up collared shirt?
0: Yes. That's why he, <laughs> he, so he that's, can't see his tattoos. That's all
2: he's ever worn. So you can't see his tattoos. In a perfect world, you, you, you'd be able to draft and develop and keep your own players.
0: That's David Stearns' ringtone.
2: Like, I feel like David Stearns has like five different outfits, and they're all relatively the same. And then he just, you know, mismatches them.
0: Yeah. He's a heck of a baseball man,
4: a heck of a football man.
0: It's just, he's the Ted Thompson of Major League Baseball.
2: The button-up collared shirt <laughs> with the pullover vest slash whatever that is that he normally wears.
1: We spend a lot of time in the dark. It doesn't make us weird.
0: No doubt about it. All right, so I do like that Brewers draft. A lot of people are complaining, though, they didn't get pitching. Where's the pitching? We, need the, well, they we loaded, need the next. And someone I heard a lot of people say, we need the next Kershaw. Well, couldn't every organization in Major League Baseball say that same line? Yeah, I
2: think every single organization in baseball would be hoping that a generational type starting pitcher (laughs) would fall to them. Yeah.
0: I, I, I'm going to completely agree. We do need the next Kershaw. And I think everyone for any team that you root for would agree with that same sentiment. Yes, we do need (laughs) the next Clayton Kershaw. It's going on a limb right there.
2: If you're looking for pitching, I mean, the, the Brewers loaded up on a lot of pitching last year. They did like their first round pick, second round pick. Yeah. Sixth round pick.
0: So the farm system's a little depleted.
2: They had out of their first ten picks, four of them went to pitching, and yeah. that's that's they're two out of their first three. So. But I,
0: I like what Nelly had said. You uh, you draft, what was it, Nell? You draft bats and you buy pitching. I like that. That's kind of a new philosophy for uh, Nelly there. Maybe uh, David Stearns abides by that as well. More will be revealed, and we will see what happens. Yeah, but the Brewers, um, and you said how much did they make? Or I'm not make. How much did they spend on all the draft picks? they are five. It
2: was a little over six million, which kept them below the, the tax, the MLB tax. I don't
0: mean to make you keep playing musical chairs, Nelly.
2: Six zero eight three two one sixteen seventy. Twitter
0: is at Zone Madison. I'm making my guy Nelly run back and forth to uh, to a seat here in the studio to, to the producer suite to go see who's uh, still so ringing. I made him get up three times now. So if you're calling, let it, if Nelly's a little late on the trigger, that's just because he's got to get up, walk his ass over another room, and pick up that telephone. And by the way, speaking of uh, phoners, 9 o'clock, we're going to have ourselves an awesome interview. Pat Miletic is going to be joining us. He is a UFC legend, a UFC icon. He is the first ever welterweight champion in the UFC.
2: <laughs> it's ringing again now. Dude, the stupid
0: button's
2: like, bro. That's another time I get Nelly to go
0: look at him go. My man said he needed to get his steps in. Well, Nelly's getting his steps in. Nelly also set up that Pat Miletic interview for us. We're very uh, stoked, very excited uh, for the Hall of Famer, the UFC Hall of Famer, to be joining us because he is a – this dude is, like I said, he's a legend. He is a freak when it comes to training, working out. In fact, he does have another fight coming up in July believe it or not. And this guy is, uh, he's phenomenal. Mitch and Madison, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, what's up, fellas? Nelly, you hit it right on the head, man. Um, one, it, it's, it annoys me, the, the fans, about the, oh, we, yeah, like you said, we need the next Clayton Kershaw. It's just like people saying, oh, we need the next Aaron Rodgers, or you need the next Tom Brady. It's like, there's a reason why there's only a few of them. You can't just, like, Buy one at the store. So if, <laughs> you know, if, if they have, you know, let the scouts do their job. If they don't show one of these pitchers is worth that pick, don't reach because then what are you going to complain? Oh, why'd you spend such a high pick on this bum? It's like some people do not have the critical thinking to understand what's going on. And like now, you like you said, you draft for hitting, and if you can, if you can go out, what, if, what did the Brewers do when they got CC Sabathia? Uh, I mean, they got him. He was an ace. They, he basically willed them to the playoffs. Um, I that mean, was who awesome. Says they, yeah, right. Who says they can't do that again?
2: Well, that's the um, thing, Mitch. When you draft these guys, you, you draft a kid that's either really good in high school or college. You have no idea what he turns out to be in five years. But when you acquire pitching or trade for it or sign it, you know what you're getting.
5: Exactly. Except when you get a guy like Jeff talk. <laughs> <You know, laughs> we don't, talk, we don't Mitch, talk about him. Mitch!
2: Why do you got to do that to us like
0: that? You were just you were on a high note, right? We can't end on a low note like that. What's going on? What's got planned this weekend, man? What you doing?
5: Oh man, uh, my grandfather's ninetieth birthday. He's the one that Whoa. beat the Rona. Oh, he beat so, the Rona? Yeah, man. He's had can- he's literally lived with cancer for years, got Rona and beat it. And I was talking to him on the phone last night. on my like, and he was he was just joking about it. He's like, oh. I, I wish I was on the other side for those days I had that. I'm like, Grandpa, you're going to outlive us all.
0: Yeah, but, 90 years old. Hey, tell him I said happy birthday, and he'll be like, who in the hell is that? Let's just say, hey, yeah, happy right? birthday, well, Grandpa. No,
5: he he does. Uh, he loves listening to the radio and stuff. Um, So I'll definitely I'll give you guys a plug because, Love I it. mean, he literally he, he watches his farm stocks and sits out on his deck with <laughs> coyotes. So. Hey,
0: Mitch, if you're listening so. at 9 o'clock, we're going to have Pat militich on, a UFC legend. He also has his own podcast called The Conspiracy Farm. So it's all about... Oh. All about big-time conspiracy theories, too. And we're going to ask him what uh, is on the docket for that as well. So if you're still around 9 o'clock, it's going to be a great interview.
5: Oh, for sure. I will be there. I'm going to start listening to that podcast, too. I need my uh, conspiracy <laughs> fix. Oh, here you you guys will love this. I was on a uh, work uh, insurance continuous education training yesterday. Yeah. And they talked about JFK. And they're just like, what, what is something that, uh, you know, It's there's it like 30 of us on the call. What is something that... Uh, uh, you know, the normal person might not know about JFK, and I go, uh, he was about to expose the deep state, and that's why he got assassinated. And then, like, everybody didn't say There's anything. Like,
0: then one they're like, look like, at this crazy guy over here. No,
5: one guy, the one guy in the whole meeting was like, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> guy's like, well, we're not going to go down that road, so let's go
0: to the next Well, let's line. get back to insurance then, folks. Thanks, right, Mitch. Exactly. Appreciate it, man. Have fun at that birthday yes, party. See you, buddy. Yeah, bye-bye. Oh, Mitch, good stuff. Dave, I mean... The bar set pretty high after that phone call. I don't know how you're going to do it, buddy.
4: No, the bar is so low because Mitch doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. <laughs> What's up, Dave? It's Dave from the in the house. Let me uh, explain critical thinking, Mitch. I like his argument. Well, Aaron Rodgers and uh, Tom Brady, what an idiot. You don't compare a football player <laughs> a baseball player. And he's talking about, well, if the player busts, well, yeah. If you, trade a short, if you get a shortstop, you bust too, you idiot. Now, of course, now Nelson's obviously clueless. Now he's now known as Charlie Scott Nelson for the rest of the day.
0: (laughs) Nelson. Dave, you're the guy that just pulled your own man card for watching General Hospital, so tread lightly.
4: (laughs) First of all, you draft pitching because you have pitching controllable for five, seven years. And what does every team do with the uh, trade deadline? Nelson and Mitch, they trade away their young pitchers to get uh, all-stars. To get to get that
0: that bat, I don't know, Dave. I mean, the Cubs tried doing stuff like that for hundred and eight hey, years. Hey, hey,
2: hey D- Dave, Dave.
4: They won, didn't they? You, hey, yeah, it took them hundred and eight years, though. Yeah, but and what won, did right? they do?
2: They drafted bats and they acquired pitching, and that's how oh. they won.
4: And at the All Star break, they traded pitching to to bring in to bring in bats. <laughs> "Oh my goodness." Hey, I Dave, Dave, know, Dave. Elfers, do you, Elfers, you remember? Elfers.
2: Do you do you remember the 2016 Cubs rotation? Jake Arrieta. He was traded for. Hmm. John Lester, he was signed. John Lackey, he was signed. That's three out of their five.
4: And where'd they get him for a one-year wonder? How about Houston? Houston,
2: they just bang on
0: trash cans, Dave, and have buzzers to tell them what pitch is coming. They cheated.
4: Seven years controlable, you have a pitcher for. Bass coming... Bands come and
2: go. Dave, out of the five guys, the five starters out of their rotation, four of them were acquired or signed. One, they drafted using, one, and it was Kyle Hendricks.
4: You're using
2: one year. But, Dave, you I were just saying your Cubs here.
4: You were just saying, but they won, didn't they? They Nelson, won the World Series. let's look at the Dodgers. <laughs> let's look at the Dodgers.
2: How many World Series did the Dodgers win in the last 30 years? The same on as the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, so <laughs> why would we model after them?
4: Because they draft pitching. Dave, I hey, love what you call it. Hey, Dave. Elsa, hey, Nelson, hey, who has the ball 90% of the time, a shortstop or a pitcher? <laughs> hey, Mitch, who has the ball? You know who's got, who's got the balls most of the, the time?
2: It's the umpire. They got multiple. They
0: got <laughs> them on control? all the time. Dave, who's I'd say the, the catcher's the got the ball game. the most.
4: There's a reason why Nelson's not playing for Utica anymore. You sit <laughs> in a studio.
0: Hey Dave, real, on a serious note though, I'm glad to see your mom has come home and she's on the uh, the road to recovery. That's good stuff, man. It's good to hear.
4: Oh yeah, she, and she's she's even a cup fan. At least she has some some brains. <laughs>
0: Have a good weekend, Dave. <laughs> yeah,
1: we got <laughs> goes back fired and up. I say
0: bye. Yeah. Well, Dave, you, you you destroyed his argument right there. You, Dave said, <laughs> 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 You said that you.
2: That the Cubs drafted those guys? They they only drafted one of them, right? Yeah, Kyle Hendricks.
0: Dave, I love you, brother. Uh, update from Dave from Anona. The Wizard says he would have buried you, Nelson, if it wasn't for that commercial break.
2: That's what they all say.
0: Yeah, you would have been buried if you would have had 30 more seconds. I, from what I could understand and gather from it, though, Dave, Nelson bodied you.
2: His argument went up in flames. I just used his own Cubs roster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. Speaking of awesome stuff, in just a couple minutes here, we're going to get UFC legend, Hall of Famer, should be on the Mount Rushmore of UFC icons, Pat Miletic, the Croatian sensation, going to be joining us. I wonder, is, is this Dave? Who is this? Welcome no, this
5: it's calling back, baby.
0: Oh, what's up, Mitch? Yeah. Sh- shoot your it, shot. It, it,
5: Dave, if you think I was going to turn a blind eye to you talking smack, that's not going to happen. Dude, look at every World Series uh, recent champion. A lot of their pitching staff, especially the good players, were brought in via free agency. And we're not saying to not draft pitching. We're saying if the draft board shows that a pitcher is not super high. Do not reach for a pitcher because you can just go out on the open market and get a pitcher because it's one-fifth of your starting rotation and it's a lot more of a home run to get a pitcher you already know is good then pick up a bat where there's nine people in the lineup. Mitch, so, how does
0: it feel, Dave from Manono? We didn't know it was the rivalry we needed, but he was taking on one of our loyal listeners and caller Brenda. But now Brenda as apparently Dave is done with Brenda, and now he's turned his attention to you. How does it feel to be on the in the crosshairs of the wizard?
5: I I don't. All I gotta do is move to the side of the his face that he can't see, and it's over. <laughs> so it's it's done. It's done. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. That's all I gotta say. Oh
1: right,
0: you Nelson, you were add spot another, on about Dave from Monona. Add another one to the rivalry. He's the Notre Dame of callers, right? Because Notre Dame's got a rivalry of just about everyone, right?
2: Add another one.
0: Add another one. Just to another the list. one
2: on Dave's hit list. Yeah. Brenda, your rivalry of Dave is no more.
0: It's now on to Mitch and Madison. <laughs> This I'm super excited about. I I was thinking about it last night. I was getting stoked. I tweeted it out. My man retweeted it. We welcome in the UFC legend, the first welterweight ever in the UFC, the man, the myth, the legend, Pat Miletic. Pat, what is up, my man?
6: Well, there's a lot up, obviously. A lot been going on, and, and uh, it's nice to see the UFC and MMA world is ramping back up, and uh, the rest of the... the the professional sporting world is lagging behind as always
0: yeah they're lagging behind man it's getting a little embarrassing especially for baseball you're tabbed as america's pastime and you can't figure it out it's pretty sad but pat i have to ask you real quick i was uh watching an older video and there was kind of a hype video of you and this guy said if mma never existed he would have been a boxer if boxing never existed he would have been a carnival strong man is that true would you have been a carnival strongman?
6: Well, it's interesting you ask that. My great uncle, who was on the 1932 Olympic boxing team, he left Southern Iowa to go to Detroit to work in the auto plants up there, and the, and the depression hit. So he started boxing again, and as an amateur, beat Joe Lewis, knocked him down seven times in three rounds, got on the 32 Olympic boxing team, as I said. and uh, But he used to hone his skills. He, he fought Maxie Rosenblum twice, actually, for a world title, wants to a draw and wants to a split decision. And both times the crowds rioted because they knew my uncle won. Uh, boxing was very, very corrupt back then. But um, he used to hone his skills by traveling to carnivals and state fairs and beating up the strongmen. No because kidding. The strongmen, yeah, back then the strongmen would do feats of strength and then they would challenge anyone to come up and either do catch wrestling, catches, catch, can, submission, grappling, or Box them. And so my uncle used to get up there and and beat the hell out of them. That's how he used to practice.
0: That's incredible, man. So it's in the bloodlines. It's in there, man. What what was that? What was your first inspiration to get in and start, you know, your career? Like, what was the first inspiration to get in there and like, I want to kick someone's ass?
6: You know, it was never about beating anybody up. I mean, honestly, I never even really liked fighting. I loved competing. I loved testing myself. But, you know, I think it was a combination of growing up wrestling here in Iowa, having Dan Gable as an idol, a guy that, You know, I read every book he had. I watched every documentary on him. I I just followed him, uh, everything that he did from the time I was very young. I started wrestling at age five. Um, And then also my mother. My mother was really taught me what being a fighter was all about. She was a single mom and raised me and and busted her butt, uh, ran a hospital. She was a nursing director and on the board of directors at a hospital and and so, you know, it was really those were the two biggest influences in my life.
0: That's awesome, man. It's always like I always see those best fighters are always the guys that uh, start with wrestling. It's always that wrestling first, you know, it's the great background for that. Um, Pat, I was going to ask you, so obviously when it comes to the UFC, you've seen it grow a leaps and bounds. You're a pioneer of the of UFC. When you see Dana White now talking about, or he did, buy an island, he's got fight island would you would you want to come back? Or let's say you go back when you were at your height you know, in the octagon. Would you want to go fight on Abu Dhabi on an island as the world is shut down with a pandemic?
6: Um, no, you know, that I've never even thought about it, to be honest with you, more than anything. I mean, I'm actually fighting July 18th, not because I want to fight, but because Michael Nunn and I, Michael Nunn was the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world for four years. He, he and I grew up in the same area down here in Iowa. We've known each other for many years, and so we're going to do it to. to as we're calling it the fight to unite. We're bringing, you know, we're, we're going to get in the in the ring, and we're going to allow a bunch of young up and coming boxers and kickboxers to do fights on the undercard to give them a chance to to be seen, and also to to unite the Quad Cities down here on the Iowa Illinois border and get a bunch of people out. There's just too much division in this country right now. Yeah. So we, he and I, he and I respect each other a great deal, and it's definitely not about. And look. I mean, he's, he's got the ability to knock me out in 10 seconds, and I certainly have the ability to hurt him with a kick to the head. But uh, it's, not even, it's not even about that for me. If I, wake up, if I wake up from getting KO'd from him, it's still been a successful uh, venture because my, quad, my fellow Quad Cityans and, and people from Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois, and I'm sure around the Midwest, have been entertained
0: yeah that's awesome man i was checking it out too i was gonna be on my my docket of questions here for you for uh this fight coming up what is it july 18th now in the mississippi valley fairgrounds in davenport that's pretty cool man are you so how are you training for it now are you is it how you've always trained or or what are you doing to prepare your body for it
6: well you know i'm you know i'm i'm doing bag routines i'm i'm hitting mitts i'm, I'm swimming laps. i'm you know, hitting runs. I haven't done any long running for a year and a half, but I went out Memorial Day and did 22 miles just to Oof. see see how it felt. And, uh, you know, I won't do any more long runs until after <laughs> how the 20? How did 22 miles feel? Actually felt pretty good. I was present the whole time. I mean, I uh, it was one of those runs for the first time in my life where I was enjoying it so much, just having the ability to be able to go out and run, you know, where a lot of people, you know, Aren't, aren't physically able to do that, Yeah. Um, that it was, I was present the whole time. I not once in that 22 miles did I think about being done. I stayed within what, what I would call a good friend of mine, David Clark, who passed away recently. Um, you know, he really preached on long runs. He, he'd done over a hundred, hundred mile runs. He was one of the, you know, uh, elite ultra runners. And um, he said the, the key to finishing a hundred mile run is just staying inside a six foot bubble that's all you think about is is your existence at that moment and that's and that's what i did for those 22 miles and i mean i've done much longer runs but that one was probably the the most pleasurable the funnest
0: i like that just staying in your own existence i'm going to have to use that as a new mantra moving forward so in the uh, moment. Yeah, in, in the, the moment. moment. I love that. Pat Miletich is joining us right now, UFC legend. Uh, as you you know, have first started in the UFC and then where it is now, obviously with COVID-19 and this pandemic that has shut every other sport down, UFC has still kind you, of been you, a mainstay. Yeah,
6: wait, hold, hold on. You mispronounced financial collapse.
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, I, well, I want to talk to you about this coming up here, so we're, we're definitely going to dive into this. <laughs> but, Pat, i got to ask you, as a guy that has seen UFC growing and you see them now still being here, And providing entertainment for people and showing maybe like life can exist, uh, sport can exist. How have you seen the sport grow from your time to now, you know, being a commentator and just being an observer of it?
6: Well, it took for it to hit, you know, the the reality TV show, the tough show. Um, You know, in the early days, it was, you know, we'd get on a a bunch of us from a show would, would either get on a plane to go to a show or coming back from a show. And everybody on the plane would look at us like we're aliens because we're, you know, bunch of muscular guys with cauliflower ears and laughing and having a good time. And, you know, they'd ask us what we were doing. We'd tell them what we were doing. They had never heard of it, you know, at the time. And then we would explain the sport. And by the time you got off the plane, you had made a friend and made a fan, you know, for the sport and for yourself. And it was one person at a time or a few people at a time. And or doing seminars at, at traditional martial arts schools, that sort of stuff. But once it hit the reality TV on spike uh, that, you know, that, that really skyrocketed the sport. And I think, people started to become educated on what it takes endurance and strength training and technique. And, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of pillars that go into building a house of a, of an MMA athlete, you know, just, Mm -hmm. just the components of kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, submission, grappling, whether it's sambo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, catches, catch can wrestling, all that knowledge from all those, all those combat sports, and then figuring out, find that fine balance between aerobic and anaerobic endurance you know that that explosiveness the power to to move another very very dangerous human being around and, and the ability to keep breathing while you're doing it for you know 25 minutes
2: yeah um nelson you have a question? yeah so pat i really got bigger into the ufc probably around 0405 and probably my favorite right. fighter of all time has to be matt hughes
6: and okay yeah
2: I just I just want to know how did you get all of those guys not only to come in and train with you but the fact that you were still fighting at the time when you started that that uh, fighting system how how what came how did it come about to get all those guys and start like a camp
6: you know it goes back to Dan Gable again Dan Gable was a guy who um as a young coach would would beat up his entire team he could he could beat anyone on his team and those guys were national champions of course he was an Olympic champion who didn't have one point scored on him in the Olympics by the world's best wrestlers, so that tells you how good he was wow. but um it it came down to you know i I did things training wise endurance wise that i i in in my mind could never a fight could never be as hard as my training, right and so anyone that came to train with me would do this this training the fight training the the technique, and then the endurance stuff. And most of them would just not hang around. They just, it was too tough for them, and they, and they just decided to go get a, a day job. But the ones that did stick around, who had that work ethic, and uh, were thoroughbreds and, and just very hardcore, dedicated, passionate athletes, stuck around. And, and as that started, the snowball began to grow. And so more and more people would come. Of course, probably 95% at least um, would stay for two days instead of the six weeks that they had scheduled. Um, having, and they were already professional fighters and they'd just go back home and just say, you know, this is now, this is too, this is too intense, but the ones that did stick around and and it just, the snowball kept growing. And at one time, I think we were between, um, 40, close to 50 athletes that were ranked in the top 10 in the world in their weight division in the room at the same time on the same nights. Well, you had so many guys. Well, anyone, and that was the beautiful thing is that when, when somebody was a professional fighter. And they were the big fish in the small pond from the gym that they were from. They would come to my gym, and every single guy that you grabbed to work out with, we would do five-minute rounds, and a lot of times you would switch partners every five minutes. You'd find a new guy, find a new guy, find a new guy. And every guy that you grabbed was ranked in the top ten in the world. So you just, it was, you know, my my name was on the side of the building, but I got my ass kicked daily. (laughs) What was it like getting your ass kicked daily? Uh, very humbling. It, it, it teaches you manners.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Pat, I was watching a documentary on on your fighting system, and I believe oh, what was his name Steve. Steve, Steve Rusk. Rusk. You mentioned him yeah. about how he really wasn't a guy that liked to fight, but he liked to show up and train with you guys, and he'd kick anyone's yeah. ass. <laughs> he you know,
6: he was a he was really a genetic freak, and also very very technical, very very technical, very explosive. He was there's 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 human strength, and then there's animal strength. And anybody that's ever stood next to a horse, when the horse decides to move sideways, it's going to move you. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's the kind of strength that Steve had. He actually he actually broke my lower leg one time just by sagging his hips to stop a, a throw that I attempted on it. So that's thats that's how much power he had. And he could come in and and throw around one time he, just to give you a story, Steve came in and told Tim Sylvia, when Tim was the, the reigning heavyweight world champion, by the way, yeah. and he said, I'm, I'm going to belly to back soup you, which means dump you on your head um, all night tonight in practice. And and Tim just shook his head and said, Steve, just please. But Steve did it for the entire night and kept doing it to him over and over and over, and he would grab Tim, and before practice would start every once in a while, and he would grab. And mind you, Steve wasn't a gigantic guy. He was probably 210 pounds, six, six foot. But he was such a such a great wrestler and so powerful that he could do this to the heavyweight world champion, like he was doing it to his nephew. <laughs> he he would grab Tim and throw him down, and fishhook his mouth until Tim's mouth would bleed, and then gouge his eyes with his thumbs, and Tim would have black eyes for a week afterward. Sounds and like Tim he's doing some anti foot training.
0: It. Sounds like he's doing some anti foot training <laughs> there.
6: That's called anti anti foot training.
0: <laughs> <Folk> in the <laughs> eyes. <laughs>
2: I just find that so wild that you can have these guys that are hanging around at these camps that are actually better than some of the fighters that you see on TV. That's insane. That's There's what a, blows my mind.
6: Hey, Pat. Well, people, people, people don't realize, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of very, very scary human beings, whether it's professional fighters, special forces, you know, uh, naval special warfare guys and, and other special forces guys. There are so many scary people that you would not even, you, you don't even realize how dangerous they are. Um, and that's the thing. That's, that's why you learn respect. You don't, yeah. you don't just go around messing with people. Yeah.
0: And that, I think that's what the internet has done to people is giving them a the voice they can like spout off to people and not worried about getting punched in the mouth. You know, I think that's, that's why you see every, a lot of disrespect yeah. in the
6: world. Everybody needs to get, get their nose bloody uh, yeah. to learn some respect.
0: Hey, Pat, I was going to ask you, Pat Militich joining us right now. Uh, your podcast, which I love the conspiracy farm. Was that started by you training with, you know, officers and special forces?
6: Um, you know, it was actually started just because I had always had an open mind as far as I was very inquisitive and I always asked questions. I always asked the why question. Why is this happening? What is causing it? And, you know, I started seeing holes in the stories in the news and just saying, you know what, it doesn't add up. It doesn't, this war doesn't add up. Why are we there? You know, I mean, Bush and Cheney taking us to Iraq, you know, the Halliburton connection and, and stealing resources and everything else. And then Look. I've trained law enforcement, and military for many, many years, over twenty years. I love our military. They signed on the dotted line to donate their life for their country if necessary. But, but the politicians look—they're <laughs> not—they're not on my A list. Let's put it that way.
0: Pat, I think so, you could say it was, it's the elites versus the not, the it's the versus the haves versus the have-nots, right? The elite versus the non-elite,
6: right? And well, you know, it's it's hard for people to understand this. Is that um, look? When we see on the news, um, you know, uh, George Floyd uh, being knelt on on his neck and, and killed, um, anybody that knows if you cut off blood to the brain for six minutes, somebody's not coming back. Well, he made sure to kneel on that for seven minutes. I don't know what kind of relationship these guys had with each other. Apparently, they worked together. I don't know why it happened. I just know that it has angered a lot of people. And there's been a lot of other things that have led up to this, right? And so, so black Americans are, are understandably angry. But what I ask, you know, my black friends, and, and I pose this question to anyone, white, black, brown, doesn't matter. Why are there so few black-owned banks in America? Okay? Um, that's something that people have to understand. Look, most of us, there's a club, and you and I are not in it. That's just the way it is. And so I want people to start, to stop fighting with each other and understand where the oppression starts. It starts by oppressing people financially. You know, if there were many, many more black-owned banks, how many more loans could go out to black Americans to get a mortgage, to start a business, to truly free themselves from the oppression that's going on? And then once they understand that level of freedom, then they will understand also at the same time who runs the bank and why our money is loaned to us by foreigners, foreign-owned banks uh, of, you know, the, Of The few families that own the Federal Reserve, which is not federal at all for those beginners that don't understand it, and it's loaned to us with interest, so we are enslaved forever. So that being said, everyone out there should be fighting for black-owned banks. They should be fighting for decentralization of the banking system and basically turn it into the Wild West because I want a bank on one corner that will give me a percentage rate, and then I can go next door to the other bank. And say, <laughs> excuse me, and say, this—they're giving me this rate on a loan. Can you do better? And that's when freedom starts to come when there is a, a interest-free gold-backed Treasury note issued by our Treasury and printed by our Treasury with no leverage and no strings attached, where the foreign the foreign uh, globalists do not control our politicians and our policies.
0: Yeah, definitely us versus the elites. And I, I saw you tweet this out. I, I liked your tweet, but at the end of the day, it's sad thinking about it that we are the elites' ant farm. Right,
6: we are one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and they and we're being manipulated. You know, I, I ask people this, and, and people have called me crazy. But now, uh, uh, economists, world class economists, are coming out, and they're not admitting it fully. But the minute the lockdown happened, look, I've been following global bank stocks, stocks for over well over twenty years, and Peter Schiff, who has been on my podcast, The Conspiracy Farm, several times, called the O eight collapse. He was laughed at on CNN, laughed at on Fox News. He called the 08 collapse for over a year. He said, you don't realize what's coming. And when we had him on my show, he and I talked, and I said, Peter, it's coming again. It's coming in the spring of 2020. We've been saying this for well over a year. And he said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And little did we know that they would use a lab-created virus to serve as a camouflage jacket to cover this up. Because if people truly knew about the banking system, and truly knew how the fiat currency that that we use, and uh, it's a lot of terms that people don't understand. If people understood the banking system and understood and knew how to pay attention to global banking stocks, they all would have known that this was coming. And basically, the politicians and the bankers would be drug out into the streets, and I'm telling you, it it would be ugly. So people need to wake up because we're being played against each other, left and right. The left and right paradigm is dead. People have to understand that. Because it is, yes, citizens versus the elites
0: right now. I also do like this tweet you had uh, from the Conspiracy Farm that you had retweeted, your, your podcast, The Conspiracy Farm. It was essentially, much of our real ancient history and past is unknown to us. I mean, you could go down a whole rabbit hole of just how there is, you know, these, when it comes to, like, even ancient Egyptian, like, uh, you know, scientists and people that study this stuff. It's The, the information is wrong, you know, and it's, 100%, 100%, and it's shut down our throats constantly. Wrong.
6: Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's look, we, we don't have the technology as advanced as we think we are. At night, when people want to look up and see Skynet, trains of satellites that are now in the sky, launched by, you know, Tesla's uh, lovely uh, Elon Musk. Look, we have the technology to do all that, <clears throat> but for some reason, we don't have the technology to move one stone from the pyramid. We can't move it a couple inches, right. let alone the five hundred, let, let alone the five hundred kilometers. That that stone had to travel from the quarry to where they built the pyramids. So uh, humans humans as as a whole are completely ignorant. It, it's it's kind well, we of amnesia.
0: We have amnesia, I think you know too, and also the fleece is pulled over our eyes.
6: Sure, but there's you know there have been cataclysms that have hit the earth, floods and other things that have wiped out civilizations. Yeah. But uh, you know they they they, uh, they burned they burned uh, ancient uh, libraries yeah, of knowledge for a reason.
0: Yeah. And then you can go look at the sphinx for example like you know the 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 ancient egyptianologists will say it's 4513 BC when you can have a geologist go out there that is from Boston College and date it back to almost 12 13 14,000 years. And but they right. they they yeah. can't get right on it's it's the disinformation is insane out there. Anyways, for the conspiracy farm we can you want to – guess that's that's what we get a taste of right there if we want to listen to conspiracy farm is more of that, right Pat?
6: yeah we have we look we have scientists on we have special forces we have former directors of intel we have all kinds of folks we have politicians on uh politicians who are unafraid to talk about the truth the few the few (laughs) and the far between that are willing to talk about the truth so uh people can go to yeah the conspiracy com and and check us out and i tell you what you know it's just go into it with an open mind and understand that you are being played. You're being played against your neighbor. You're being played for anything, whether, whether it's gender, whether it's color, whether it's religion. Why, the, why do they continue to divide us?
4: Yeah. And it's,
6: it's not in human nature to be mean to each other. People have a kind heart, and that's the thing that people don't understand is that most humans are so kind that they'll believe what they're told, right? right? right. And, they, and, they don't, and they don't believe that the people that they have put into office, and the bankers and, and a lot of these other people that are controlling things around the world could possibly be as evil as they are.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the human mind doesn't want to believe that there's evil out there, but the sad thing is there is evil out there. Pat, I appreciate sure. your time, man. And, hey, we're, we're rooting for you on July 18th when you go fight Michael Noon, all right, buddy?
6: Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time, guys. All
0: right, thanks, Pat. Appreciate it, man. Good stuff. Take care. Th- take care. Man, UFC legend Pat Miletich, right there, breaking it down. Hey, with the down. with the
2: lack of sports, maybe we get a bus trip together and we go watch yeah, it. Yeah,
0: we'll go to we'll go to Mississippi Valley Fairgrounds in Davenport to watch Pat just boom get it going. It's only
2: like a two hour drive.
0: The first, yeah, it's not far. The first ever UFC welterweight champion, UFC Hall of Fame, now a commentator, and also his podcast, which you heard, got a taste of it right there. Appreciate your time, Pat. That's some awesome stuff right there. <laughs>